Good morning. This is uh, God's infallible word. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8 uh, through 7, verses 8 through 17. The bride adores her beloved. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my dove, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. For your love is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Thank you, Randy. Uh, we're going to spend some time looking at this text together. Well, in 1967, Canada was 100 years old, but Alex Chilton and the Box Tops released a song called The Letter. Maybe you've heard of it. It has a simple drum beat. It's got a slick bass line, has some growly vocals, and the singer tells us in this song all about his desire to get back to his beloved. And if you listen to the lyrics, what you hear is a man begging his boss. He's trying to buy aeroplane tickets. The fast train isn't fast enough. But he tells us, the lonely days are going, I'm going home, because my baby, she wrote me a letter. Now, what does the letter contain? What makes his, his planning so urgent? She has written to him and told him, I can't live without you anymore. You, you, got to, you have to come home or come back to me. She needs him nearby. Now, that song in 1967 went to number one on the charts became a defining song of the Vietnam era, and was hummed by lovers getting on planes to visit their beloved, and was heard by little boys like me riding in the back, back seat of their parents' Oldsmobile 98. A man urgently traveling to be with his beloved seems quite modern, getting on aeroplanes and stuff like that. Yet in the Song of Songs, we find this very similar scenario play out. This man is traveling to see the one he loves, and he can't live without her. He desires her, and as you've heard, he wants to sweep her away from her mother's house. Yet in contrast to the box tops to our friend Alex Chilton, there are some issues. There are some reasons to wait. There are some troubles that must be dealt with. 
Now, it's unclear if the Song of Songs proceeds in strict chronological order. If you were here last week or listened to the sermon, uh, you'll know that some of the things that Frankie covered were, were, were quite intimate, and, and they were at least pretty close. Yet, I think as today's portion suggests, they aren't quite married yet. Now, maybe this is a snapshot from a different season. Maybe things aren't in the exact chronological order. I'm not sure it really matters. But today's text, I think, will have particular relevance to those of you uh, who are waiting to those of you who are hoping for future intimacy. As you said when we started this series, I think the Song of Songs was largely written to those people who aren't experiencing intimacy in marriage yet. It's wisdom for those who are entering this season of life. And so today, if you're dating, maybe you're engaged, maybe you're single, you don't have any current prospects, but you're hopeful for the future. If you're in any of these categories, you know, divorced, widowed, all that stuff, I think there'll be lots here for you. But it's also going to speak to general troubles in relationship, troubles in love, things that trip any of us up. And if nothing I've said so far piques your interest, you're like, you know, pass, pass, pass. The good news is that Jesus Christ is here too. In between all this wisdom for our romantic lives, we're going to find Christ, you'll see. But I just have two parts this morning. We're going to jump in. I first want to talk about love that must wait. And secondly, we're going to talk about love and its troubles. Now, if you were here last week, pop quiz. Don't worry, we're not, we're not grading. Pop quiz, though. What was the last verse that Frankie preached on? Do you remember? He talked about intimacy. He talked about commitment. He talked about green couches. What was the last verse? It was a woman saying, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and does of the field that you not stir or awaken love until it pleases. She reminded the daughters of Jerusalem, the single people listening in, in the face of desirable intimacy, in the face of commitment, uh, you should not take these things lightly. You should not enter into them before you are ready. But if you were reading this right through, so that was verse 7, verse 8, which we began with today, it opens with the woman saying she hears the voice of her beloved and she sees him leaping over mountains and bounding over hills. It's a Superman type image. He's coming to meet her. He's, uh, he's faster than a speeding bullet, you know, stronger than a locomotive, taking buildings with a single bound. This man is eager. He loves her. He desires her. He wants to be with her. He's overcoming obstacles. There's energy and vitality and, you know, sexual energy just vibrating off of him. But, but what I want you to see is what she calls him. She calls him a gazelle or a young stag. But remember what she made her charge by? By the gazelles and does of the field do not awaken love. Yet here, it's a deliberate play on words. Got to feel the poetry. The gazelle is coming for her. The, the stag is coming for her. What does that mean? It means that for them, love is awakening. The gazelle is coming to, to meet his doe, but he comes to a screeching halt. In the middle of verse 9, he's standing outside a wall, presumably of a house or of an estate, but he's looking through the windows. He's gazing through lattice. What's going on? Is he a peeping Tom you know, or something? Well, he's not currently allowed in to see her. There is something preventing at least his desired union from taking place. And the wall, I think, in this case, represents one thing, a lack of marriage. That the eager stag stands on the outside looking in at his beloved, wanting to be with her, but he's not allowed in because they are not yet married. Now, how do I know that? Well, I've got some evidence for my view. If you look at the middle of verse 10, the man begins to speak. And he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. In the middle of verse 13, exact same phrase, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. What does this man want? He wants the woman to come and join him in his domain, out in, out in the wilderness of love. You know, get away from your mother's house, away from your old life. Join me in this new life together. This suggests they are not in that life yet. 
Additionally, the, name he, the names he calls her, my beautiful one, my love, they also hint that they are not yet married. Later in the song, he will call her often my bride or my sister. And sister is not a term of incest, but it suggests closeness and actually in their culture, a permission to be affectionate in public. He hasn't used those terms yet. He hasn't called her sister. He hasn't called her bride. Just my love, my beautiful one. Seems like the wedding has not yet taken place. Now, why does he want her to come away? Because it's spring and the winter is gone. And they, didn't, they don't have snow there, but they had winter rains. The winter rains are past. Everything is budding and blooming. The flowers are out. The turtle dove sings. The fig tree ripens. The flowers that precede grapes are on the vine. Spring, as you probably heard said, spring is for lovers. <laughs> and, and as life awakens, so too often does love. But this, you see, the man cannot get inside to his beloved. So he's, he's standing outside, you know, yelling over the wall like Romeo underneath the balcony. He's trying to woo his, his, his beloved from afar. The time is right, he's saying, for love to awaken. And then in verse 14, he calls her a dove, hiding in the clefts of the rock, the crannies of the cliff. Now, doves are very cautious animals. They're very little natural protection, you know, not giant claws or anything. And therefore, what they rely on for safety in the wild is making nests in very inaccessible places. So he's saying, you're like a dove to me. You're beautiful. You have this lovely voice, but you're out of reach. And he's asking her, show your face. I want to hear your voice. There's no Zoom. There's no FaceTime for these lovers. He, he wants to see her. I want, I want to look at you. I want to, I want to hear your voice. He wants to be with her, but is being prevented. And we'll talk about verse 15 in a moment in our second part today. But she responds to his poetry and invitation in verse 16 saying, it's one of the most famous lines in all the song, my beloved is mine and I am his. My beloved is mine and I am his. She is reassuring him of her love, but at the same time, she is not agreeing to run away with him this moment. You notice that? She says, he grazes among the lilies. The lily was a flower associated with sexuality. And this line, I think, is telling us she knows he is very excited to be with her. That line will come up again later in the song. But in verse 17, she poetically resists him. She says, not yet, not until the day breathes and the shadows flee. A beautiful line. Until the morning of the right day dawns, she says to him, go be a gazelle. Go be a young stag. The wall is in place for a reason. Yet even as she denies him, she lets us know her desire. She says, go be a young stag on cleft mountains. Now that may not sound like much to you, but all the Hebrew scholars will tell you that's a euphemism for breasts. And she says, hey, the right morning of the right day, it hasn't dawned yet, but I still desire you. Uh, I am yours, you are mine. There will be a day when we will be together. It just isn't this day. So what I want to spend some time talking about now is, is this waiting what does this, this section have to teach us about, about waiting? What are we waiting for? Well, some of us are, are waiting, in this case, refers to being sexually intimate with the one we love, but also the wait for lives to, to be intertwined. So waiting for intimacy, we might say, of the bodies, of bodies, but also of souls and lives. And no matter how quickly you get married, no matter how few or how many dates you go on, waiting, it's always involved. And some of us will have one season of waiting. Others of us may experience it on multiple occasions. So let's ask the question, what wisdom is applicable to those who wait? The first piece, I got two. The first piece of wisdom is this. Waiting should be hard. Waiting should be hard. And let me tell you why that is. Many couples find it hard to wait to be sexually intimate with their beloved. It's hard to wait in the dating phase. 
It's harder to wait as you get engaged. Many have found as the days tick by, as the wedding looms closer and closer, it gets harder and harder to wait. And I think the song would teach us that it's not a sign that things are wrong, but that things are going right. That a person should feel eager to be with their their future spouse. You should feel eager for them. Um, The man in the song, he's bounding over hills. He's leaping tall mountains. How can we get things started? Can, Can it be now? What about today? This is a good impulse, but it means until the day breathes, until the shadows flee, on the morning of your wedding day, it will be harder and harder to resist. And oppositely, if a dating couple, if an engaged couple finds it easy to resist, if there isn't much sexual desire, that may be, here, here the may, the may be a sign that something is off. We're not supposed to be out of control, we'll talk about that in a minute, but if it isn't hard, That may be a sign of abuse, it may be a sign of same-sex attraction, it may be a view on one or both parts that sex is dirty or repugnant in some way. Waiting is, and I think should be hard. I think it's how how God wired us. But it's also hard to wait if you're single. See, it's not just dating couples or engaged couples that find it difficult to wait. Single people wait. And in contrast to especially the engaged, you don't wait with the expectation that your desires will soon be met. You are in open-ended waiting. And that can make it even more difficult. See, the sexual drive, you know this, it's very powerful. It makes people do all sorts of crazy things. And so if you're single this morning, and you find the lure of pornography, or quick hookups, or masturbation, or other things, if you find those things extremely potent in your life, I think that's to be expected. It doesn't mean you should give in. We'll talk about that in a minute. It just means you should be prepared, because waiting is hard. God made humans, nearly all humans, not totally universally, we've learned, but nearly all humans to have this desire for sex. Abstaining from it is hard. Now, the second piece of wisdom is that waiting is necessary. So I want to talk about how to wait well. And as I mentioned in other weeks, the Bible consistently tells us not to have sex before we are married. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus, Paul, Moses, like all of them, they all stack up in the same way. So waiting for marriage to have sex is essential. It's commanded by God everywhere we read about it. So how do we go about waiting? Well, interestingly, I think, the Song of Songs doesn't offer us any rules, but it does give us reasons. Now, what's the difference between a rule and a reason? Well, a rule is, you probably know this, uh, some dating couples, some engaged couples, they adopt rules to help curb their sexual desire, Uh, like no kissing or no being together after midnight or no touching anything a bathing suit would cover, or, you know, they kind of go on and on. And in some circumstances, rules may be helpful. We'll talk about that. But the song is more interested in reasons. And the, the reason it's interested in reasons is because part of the problem with rules is you can always find a way around rules if your heart isn't in them. Whereas reasons help engage your heart to want to follow the rules. One author I was reading this week said he was counseling a couple who had made a rule while dating, while being engaged about kissing while lying down. We're not going to do that. Seems good. But guess what? There are a lot of things you can do while standing up. There are a lot of things you can do while outside or in a car. Or if you've made a rule about intercourse, it may be helpful, but it's really only helpful if you care about the rule. See, I'm not telling you not to make rules. My wife, my wife Jen and I, we had some. They were helpful to us. But rules are mainly helpful when you have good reasons to obey them. Of course, we wanted to be together, but we also wanted to obey the rules. And what reasons do we have to obey? I think this song suggests two. The first is because it's what God wants for us. Look, 
Ultimately, if you can't or don't or won't believe that God wants you to refrain from sex outside of marriage, then all the rules mean mean basically nothing. The rules will have no power in your life if you don't believe it's what God wants for you. See, I don't think sexual purity is really that much about sex. I think it's about God. And if we abstain from sex because we think it's going to benefit us later or we're going to get rewarded somehow, then listen, you're not living to please God. You're only trying to please yourself. I think some of us grew up with the message that if you're a good boy or if you're a good girl and you don't sleep around before marriage, then you get rewarded with a smoking hot sex life or a beautiful partner or as many kids as you want. But listen, I think that's extremely damaging because lots of people don't get that. What about the single person who stayed pure and is still single? What's their reward? What about all the people who waited and then sex was disappointing or painful? What about everyone who can't conceive? See, the Bible doesn't talk about married sex as a trophy, only as a blessing. See, we obey not to get stuff. We obey to please God. And when your hormones are firing and no one's around and he looks so cute, you need something strong to resist that. See, sexual self-control, it's what God wants from us, but if all you have is rules and no reasons, listen, you're not going to make it. The second reason to obey, we have to be careful with, sort of dangerous, but the song definitely talks about it, and so we need to do too. You should obey because of the future. There are a lot of biological metaphors in this passage, vineyard being the most prominent. And the basic idea the song puts forward is you you patiently wait, you abstain because of the promise of future fruit. Restraint now, walls now, blessings later. Now here's why we have to be careful with this because it's not pure causation. Remember, uh, a healthy marriage, that's a blessing, not a trophy. The obedient don't always get fruit. Disobedient don't always see the consequences. And by the way, the fruit of obedience... It's not that you get a better looking spouse, not that you get a more fulfilling sex life, but you get life with God. See, one of the big problems with having sex before marriage, besides the obedience part, is you lay down a foundation that says it's okay to give in when things are hard. That obedience has its limits. And you may not consciously think that, you know, whatever, but it's implicit. You functionally make a decision, my desire for this outweighs my desire to please God. And oppositely, when you really, really want each other, but you go to your cold bed all alone and you wait, you are laying down a different foundation that says, I can trust God even when things are really hard. So if you are tiptoeing close to the line with your girlfriend, or if you've you've crossed the line with your boyfriend and want to come back, listen, I would urge you to obedience today, but for the sake of your eternal soul. That's that's really what's on the line here. To say with the man and the woman of the Song of Songs, it's really hard, and I really want to take the next step, and we earnestly desire each other, but it's not the right day yet. Now, we've covered a lot of ground, so let's quickly review. The couple's waiting. He's interested. There's a wall up. They aren't married yet. And this waiting is really hard. He really wants her. She really wants him. But waiting is necessary because it's what God wants for them and because of the foundation they're laying down for the future. But let's talk about our second part, love and its troubles. Look at verse 15. The Hebrew here gets kind of confusing. See, before this, if you remember, the man was speaking, calling to his beloved, wooing her, trying to get her away from the house into the wilderness. 
But then in verse 15, it really sounds like the couple is speaking together. Uh, They say, catch the little foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyard for our vineyards are in blossom. Did you hear the plural pronouns? Catch the foxes for us, our vineyards. It sounds like the couple is actually speaking to the chorus line or to the friends. And that's actually my interpretation of this verse. This couple is asking a favor of their friends. And what are they asking for? To catch foxes. You're like... That's weird. That's a weird favor to be asking for. Well, let, let's, let's explain. Foxes in the ancient Near East were seen as something like a rodent. Okay? Canadian comparison, raccoons, you know, or something like that. Small animal, kind of cunning, annoys you, eats all your garbage, wrecks things or whatever. Foxes were, were similar for them. Sneaky, uh, notorious. You know, Aristotle called them mischievous and crafty. And foxes were known, one of the things they were known for was stealing grapes from vineyards. They could slip through little holes in the wall and and ruin a harvest. So every spring, what they would do is they'd have a fox hunt. Long before the kings and queens of England made it cool, the the young people of a town in the Mideast, they would go out into the forest or onto the plains, and and they'd try to catch and kill foxes. And it became like this spring festival, you know, and the the way things do. But it served this practical purpose. It safeguarded the harvest, protected the crops. The fewer foxes, the better likelihood of of a good, you know, a harvest of grapes. And remember, vineyard has been used as a metaphor for her body. She's referred to herself as a vineyard, but also as a metaphor for their relationship. She says, or they say, excuse me, their love for each other can be compared to a garden, to a vineyard that is to be tended, protected, and treated carefully. But what season of love are they in exactly? The couple says their vineyard is in blossom. Not sure how up on grape cultivation you are. (laughs) But the order of things, much like other fruits, first vine, then blossoms, flowers, and then out of that blossom, fruit eventually grows. If you can think of Japanese cherry trees, you know, late April, spring, first you get these, these magnificent white, pinkish blossoms, and then out of that fruit, you know, later on, cherries grow. But first come the blossoms, then come the fruit. So this couple is saying their love hasn't borne full fruit yet, but it's flowering. Again, it's sort of a, a hint that they aren't married yet. They're getting close. Fruit is on the way, but it's not quite there. And in this stage... Things are fragile. There's threats to love. There are foxes who can destroy the crop that's to come. And so this young couple, in their wisdom, they say to their friends, come and help us catch the foxes before they cause trouble. Well, what can trouble love? As it flowers, as it approaches maturity? If you were to ask our current culture, there are only two problems when it comes to sex and to love. And the two problems, according to the culture, are consent and sexually transmitted diseases. Make sure you're both into it, and make sure to use protection. Now, look, consent is important. (laughs) We're we're, we're for consent. After marriage, uh, we we preached through the book of Corinthians, which told us, uh, you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to your partner, and your partner belongs to you. Husbands don't get to demand things of their wives. Wives don't get to demand things of their husbands. Consent's important. Also, taking care of health problems, taking care of pain, that's also important. Studies will tell us that a pretty good percentage of couples, especially newly married couples, experience persistent sexual pain. That should be dealt with. That should be understood. But look, is that all we have? Is that all that troubles love, consent, and STDs? Well, not according to the scriptures. Lust, it's a major problem. So Jesus tells us, he says, it's as important as adultery when you desire another person in your heart. Fantasies are a major problem, kind of a subsection of lust. You're imagining a different world with a different partner. Pornography exists. It's a continual threat to many. 
And on the non-sexual side, there are all sorts of things that can trouble love. Lack of communication, failure to deal with conflict, family issues, money issues, many things can trouble love. There are all kinds of little foxes, you know, running around and disrupting love. A couple in love, no matter how in love they feel, should not assume that their love is unbreakable or that nothing could pull them apart. Rather, from time to time, but especially early on, you need to go fox hunting. You've got to go find the problems in your relationship and root them out. And my wife, Jen, and I, we've been to counseling on a few occasions as foxes have invaded our life, troubles of different kinds. But we've also just talked to fr- family and friends on many other occasions to help work through dif- uh, difficult issues. Listen to me. The presence of foxes, the presence of troubles, does not mean you are a failure in love. Sometimes we get that idea. But look, everyone has problems. What the song teaches us is you have to deal with them. You've got to go catch them. You can't let them destroy the harvest of love. Problems do not tell you you are a failure in love. Problems tell you what kind of love you have. And a mature love or a maturing love is the kind that says, we have this problem, let's deal with it. Let's catch it before it disrupts our love. Like I'm by nature a person who doesn't like conflict. In my relationships, not just with my wife, but friendships and whatever, I'm the person who hopes if I ignore this, maybe it will just go away. Maybe you're like me. The man and woman of the song remind us, no, you have to catch the foxes. (laughs) And actually, sometimes you need the help of others, or maybe oftentimes you need the help of others to catch the foxes. And this couple is asking their friends, don't just help us refrain from sleeping together before we get married. Though, of course, help us with that, but help us cultivate our love for each other. Help us cultivate an internal life that's healthy. Help us battle lust. Help us communicate well. Help us love well. Now I know because I've been there that being a third wheel for a couple who's super in love and you know that you kind of get ignored all night, that can be annoying, but it helps. Married couples can help. They can have dating couples over. Older couples can help by being mentors and friends. Single people can help each other. But healthy love, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, it's a community project. A wise couple will realize they need others to help them. Now this morning... It's not as fun as other weeks in the Song of Songs because we're dealing with hard stuff. We're dealing with two difficult things, waiting and troubles. And even in the best of relationships, those are still hard. They still pop up. And I wonder if this morning these topics are bringing up for some of us, or maybe for many of us, feelings of guilt or shame or regret. Maybe you're reminded of how you failed to wait. Maybe you're reminded of how many times you've given in to sin Maybe this morning things are coming up and you're reminded of when troubles overwhelmed you and they ruined a relationship or even ruined a marriage. Or you're remembering a season of life when you were really stubborn and you were really hard-hearted and you damaged the relationship with the one you love. What I need you to know, you need to listen to me on this point, because sometimes a church has made so much of sexual sin. What I need you to know is that your sin and your shortcomings and your failures, they are not the only true thing about you. As Matthias said earlier, God promises he can restore broken down vineyards and he will replant blossoms that foxes have eaten, that he can use our sin and our failures and our sexual sin to grow us and even to glorify himself. You have to believe that. There's a way back. 
But listen, it's not just for this life that we seek to patiently wait and guard our vineyards. The waitings and longings of this life are they're preparing for all of us an ultimate harvest, a tree of life when the bridegroom will come to claim his bride. See, listen, on the final day when this world comes crashing to an end, our waiting and Jesus' waiting will finally end. And Jesus will come leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills to claim his people. And on that day, there will be no walls, no lattice that's going to keep him out. There'll be no more words from a distance. On that day, our cold and our wandering and our sin-sick hearts will be transformed and will function as we were always meant to. We will behold his loveliness, and he will be ours, and we will be his. And on that day, it will be springtime and harvest all at once. And on that day, Jesus will call to his people, saying, Arise, my beautiful one. The winter of your sin and your shame, it's past. The rains of your old life have ceased. Everything is being made new. And I'm taking out your old heart of stone. I'm giving you a heart of flesh. Outwardly, you've wasted away. Inwardly, the turtle dove sings. The fig tree ripens. The vines are in blossom. See, what Jesus is looking for today, my friends, it's not perfection, but repentance. He wants us to come to him and say, no matter what's happened in our life, despite everything, that I am my beloved's and he is mine. In a few moments, we're going to break bread and share the cup. And we're going to rehearse the truth that Christ came for all of us, not just the people who were good. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. You're a person who has a broken vineyard. You've been devastated by foxes doesn't matter. You're welcomed into his family. So today we wait, but we won't forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that as we wait, as we wrestle with troubles in our lives, that these things will not always be true. Our longing for perfect relationships points us to a longing for a relationship with you. Help us to see you this morning the great lover of our souls, who loved us not because we were lovely, but in order to make us lovely. Forgive us, renew us, restore us. In Christ's name, amen.